Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. It's a wonderful thing to be in the kingdom of God and to receive and understand how blessed we are because we are connected to him. The um, very first any type of inheritance that I received in my life was um, several years after my father had passed away. His parents owned a small, a very, very small, very, very, very small cracker box house. And um, and so the siblings had, my dad's siblings had decided to sell that in time and and so we were contacted, I was contacted by one of my aunts, and she said, we want you to know that you're going to get a portion of your dad's uh, sale of the home. And so I was thinking, well, uh, you know, I didn't think we would be included in that. I didn't see the necessity of us being included in that. didn't even come across the radar personally. And she said, no. And she said, it was, it's only the right thing to do, and I understand that course she said so we're going to take his one-fifth share and we're going to split it among the four of of us siblings and um, so we got a check it was about twelve hundred dollars or something like that so we didn't retire as you can see or we didn't move to Cancun or any of those things but I'll never forget the feeling of just being included it never crossed my mind. I had no idea. I knew they owned a home and understood those things, and I didn't even know it was for sale, and they could have sold that and moved right on. We would have never known anything about it. Furthermore, if we'd have found out, never thought anything about it. I just assumed in the absence of my father that we wouldn't be included. That was them and their business. But they were that conscientious to make sure. And so it wasn't about the dollar amount at the end of the day. I can't tell you it wouldn't have been wonderful to have been a few more zeros on that check, but I wouldn't have sent it back had there been a few more zeros on the check. But that wasn't the point at all. It was the point that we want to do what's right, and you deserve this because you are in rightful heir. And so no matter how great or small, you're going to be included in this. That feeling of being included is something that I've never gotten over. I've never forgotten that feeling. And that's how I feel in the family of God, our Father, which art in heaven, that we have been included in the bountiful blessings of the Lord, that he would touch us. I'm reminded of the passage of scripture when David said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? What, what David was doing is speaking on behalf of mankind, but we could always say, who am I that thou art mindful of me? 
And I'm thankful for the presence of God and what he's done in our lives. And so we really are blessed and we really are privileged far beyond what we could ever think, dream, or imagine. I'm going to ask you to turn your attention with me today to the book of Luke chapter number 8. And we're going to read a couple of verses. And it is um, a very familiar story, fairly familiar story at least to most. And, and um, the book of Luke chapter 8. The Bible says, Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away. Now if we could just take a pen knife and cut that one scripture out of the Bible, that would seem like a very unfair and unjust move on behalf of the Lord. Because here's a man that had been delivered and set free and all he asked to do was to be included. All I want to do is just join you in the endeavor of propagating the gospel. But the Lord, but the Lord sent him away. The Lord rejected that. But thank God we can keep reading. Because here's why. In verse 39, he said, I want you to return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. And so the Lord said, I don't need you to join me. I need you to stay right where you are. And I need to let your light shine before men that they might be able to see exactly what my hand has done and is doing in your life. Amen. The man at the center of this scene, of course, it was what is who was commonly referred to as the demonic of Gadara. But this man had been miraculously delivered by the power of the Lord. He went from being a madman to what the scripture says he was left clothed and in his right mind. What a transformation this man had experienced in the most literal sense. You would have expected that the people that saw that miracle would have asked Jesus to stay and heal everybody else in that community that had any issue in their life. But that wasn't the outcome of that at all. Apparently, money was more important to them because the Lord had cast the, the, the demons out of the man and into swine. And those swine ran over a cliff and drowned themselves in the sea. And I understand there was, at the end of the day, a true economic impact in the life of someone, whoever owned those pigs. However, there was another man that had been miraculously delivered, and not only that, but a city, a community that had been set free from the torment that this man represented as he lived out his life in the tombs, hollering, moaning, and cutting himself. The scripture is pretty the scripture is, is pretty detailed in the misery and the level of misery of his life. And so uh, they ask, instead of asking Jesus to stay, be an absolute part of that process, they ask, they, the townspeople, ask Jesus to leave. As strange as that picture may be, that was not at all the sentiment of the man who had been delivered. Uh, others that remain undelivered may, wanted, may have wanted Jesus to leave. They may have been wanting to wash their hands and be done with the whole process, but that's not how the man at the center of the story felt. The man at the center of the story said, I love you so much, I want to join you. 
And he didn't have any idea what he was connecting himself to. He didn't say how long, how far, how much will this cost, what will be extracted of me. He said, I just want to join you. Amen. I want to go with them. But, but the Lord said, I believe that you will serve the kingdom in a much greater capacity if you will just stay right here and let these people see Christ in you, the work of God in us. You know, I I don't know of a greater testimony than what the Lord has done in the lives of men and women. If people can see true change, not just Sunday change, but if they can see true change, true change when the chips are down, true change whenever we are feeling the weight and the pressure of the world almost to crush us to dust, but they understand something is keeping them upright, something is keeping them in, in their right mind, they haven't changed their personality. They're not, they're not fussing and cussing. They're not doing all the things that everybody around us are doing. There's something significant that has happened in their life. He wanted to go with the Lord, but the Lord said, you will, you will serve this community better by, by staying here. And so he instructed him. He said, I want you to tell everybody that you meet, tell everybody that you can. He was given his marching orders and his life's mission now was to put the trumpet to his lips. This was his marching orders. This was his life's mission. I want you to stay in this community and I want you to declare unto the whole world that you meet your world what God has done to you. And so in Luke 8 and 39, the Bible says, he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done for him. Over and over, we see this pattern repeated in Scripture by men and women whose lives had been so impacted by the power of the gospel. Amen. They were blessed by the Lord. And those that have been so greatly blessed are often those that are highly motivated and should be, rightly so, motivated to tell others about the Lord. The Bible tells us that as children of God, that we have a rich inheritance. Whether you're a parent or a child, I believe that we can all understand the basic feeling of wanting to bless or enrich our family's lives. We want somehow to, to, to touch them and help them to have a better life than we had. That's not, that doesn't mean we bemoan the life that we had. But every generation, the Bible talks about an inheritance to our children's children. Not just paying up forward one time, but paying forward two times. I'm not talking about spoiling children beyond our ability to get along with them or them to be able to get along in a balanced way in life. But it, was, it is a wonderful thing for one generation to set the next generation behind them a little further, pave the path and make it a little easier to bless them. In light of that thought, in Matthew 7, 11, Jesus said this. He said, if ye being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him. Now, when we look at the word evil there, that's kind of off-putting if we don't want to consider ourselves evil, but this isn't evil as in sinister, but he's talking about our sin nature. If you who have a sin nature 
can have enough thought process to say, I want to bless my children. I want to help them. I want to encourage them. And so if we, with a sin nature, have the capacity to do that, how much more does God want to bless his children? Amen. I'm going to tell you something. The enemy in an altar of prayer would like to, would like to separate us and sever us from the power and the kingdom of God through our failure, through our faults, through our idiosyncrasies. And he is there. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. I'm not the only one that's ever felt unworthy when I was in prayer. But I need to think of, I need to certainly have a repentant and a contrite spirit. But I also need to remember that I'm talking to a God that is my father. Our Father which art in heaven. I'm talking to a God that is my Father, a Father that longs and desires to bless me. Amen. And so when we were in the greatest need of our lives, I'm thankful that the Lord came to us. He came to me when I couldn't come to him. He came to me. He came to you when you couldn't come to him. He came to you. His hand reached further down than you could reach up. When when it all seemed beyond your ability to grasp, he made it on the middle shelf. He put it low-hanging fruit where you and I could get a hold of this saving gospel. I'm not worthy of this this morning. I don't think there's a person in this room that would raise your hand and say, I deserve this. But I'm thankful for the the mercy and the grace of God. His goodness and mercy follows me all the days of my life. (laughs) Hallelujah. Oh, we praise you for your mercy today. We are blessed. We are so blessed. We are so blessed. When the Lord saw the gap between humanity and and himself because of sin, he decided to do something about that. He manifested himself in flesh and became a sacrifice that would build a bridge from sinful man to redemptive man. Jesus said, and if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. And I will tell you today that the work of Calvary has done just that from that moment until this moment. It has been drawing. It has been drawing men and women unto him. Cornelius wasn't the only one. Uh, The Apostle Paul wasn't the only one. Your aunt, your uncle, your grandmother, your grandfather, your mom, your dad, they weren't the only one. There's a drawing power to the presence of God. Calvary has a draw to it because he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. I don't think this drawing is a random act. Certainly we are drawn uh, unto him, of course, for our own personal salvation But I believe that we are chosen to join God in his work of helping to save humanity. Now, we can't save people. We understand that. But I'll tell you what we can do. We can put the trumpet of truth to our lips. And we can sound that trumpet with clarity. Amen. With this firm conviction in our life that if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who will prepare themselves or who shall prepare themselves to the battle? And so I need to sound the trumpet long and loud and let it be clear. We have a responsibility to help propagate the gospel. That responsibility does not just fall squarely on the shoulders or in the lap 
of what we may refer to in Ephesians as the fivefold ministry, but I believe every born again child of God. Amen. This man said, I'd like to be a disciple. The man of Gadara, I'd like to be a disciple. I don't think he was looking for a title. I don't think he was looking for a position. He said, I'd like to be a disciple. But the Lord said, I don't need you to be a disciple as, as such to join us and have your name written in lights. What I need you to do is to be a voice. Amen. Now, can I just tell you today that God may not ever use you mightily in a public in a public way. He may not ever use you mightily behind a pulpit. And if that's where all your dreams and hopes and inspirations begin and end, you're probably going to be in trouble. This man, if he had just been looking for stardom, would have been crushed when the Lord said, you can't go with me. I need you to stay here. But apparently he wasn't seeking after the microphone. He wasn't trying to get his name in lights. He wasn't trying to get on the camp meeting schedule are you hearing me today amen when the Lord said no you can't go with me I need you to stay the Bible said he went wherever he went he was declaring the power and the purpose of God amen you can do it without a title you can do it without a position you can do it without a microphone you can do it without an office are you hearing me today what can compel you to do that is the work that God has done in your life and in mine Oh, hallelujah. I feel the power of the Holy Ghost in this house today. I feel the affirmation of his spirit in this holy place this morning. And so I say, Lord, I've been blessed beyond my wildest dream. I have been privileged beyond that that I could have ever dared dream or imagine. And so if you'll just help me, if it's in a cafe, just sharing my testimony, if it's sitting down on a park bench telling somebody what the Lord has done for me, if I can sit in the living room with a Bible open and teach them the way of the Lord. If I can teach them here, oh Israel, the Lord our God is one. If I can point them to a pool of baptism. If I can point them to an altar of repentance. And if I can be in the birthing room spiritually to see them born again of the water and of the spirit speaking in other tongues then help me Lord to do it. Help me, Lord, to do it. My, my, my. My, 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 my. I feel the presence of the Lord today. Amen. I feel his presence today. Most often when we hear the word royalty, our minds, probably at least, my mind thinks of Queen Elizabeth and her royal family living in the Buckingham Palace with its some 775 rooms. Sometimes when we think of the royal family, we think of Dave and Sherry, <laughs> Toby and Tanya. They live in wonderful houses. I think it falls just short of the 775, though. Some know the criteria for royalty true royalty is much, much higher than that of common people. It's an interesting study to study the life of royalty. Most people expect members of the royal family to conduct themselves differently than common people. They walk different. They talk different. They conduct themselves differently. There's a stringent code 
by which you live by. Even those of royalty expect others in their own family of royalty to live by a higher standard than the common people. And they raise their children with certain expectations. There are certain activities that they will partake in and there are certain things that royalty just must not do. It is out of the question. And the same would be true that if for whatever reason you or I were adopted into that royal family, that adoption would do multiple things. I believe that that adoption would, would, would raise our own expectations of ourselves. That I can no longer do this or I can no longer do that. Now my manner of conduct is going to be thus and so. The same is true for us after we are born again and we are adopted into the, into the God's royal family. I, I want you to know something, that, that there is an expectation of the word of God and there is an expectation of God. I want to be very, very clear here because I'm not just talking about the expectation of a local church. But there is an expectation that is found in the word of God and an expectation of God that we would live a new and different life. And we will and can do that by the power of the spirit. That's the spirit. It's the spirit that enables us to live a life. Paul talks about coming out and being separate. And that, that separation should be distinct. That separation should be found in our language. That separation should be found in our lifestyle. That separation should be found in our dress. That, that separation should be found in every aspect of our lives. That we ought to not just talk about holiness, but we ought to live a life of holiness. And not just something again that we do when it is convenient or when we are in the house of God or we are at a church, church function or church event, that holiness should define who we are within because that's where it should begin. But what is really working on the inside will indeed manifest itself on the outside. And I believe that apostolic men ought to look like apostolic men. And apostolic women ought to look like apostolic women. We ought to be changed by the power of God, by the presence of God. Our thinking, our thinking, our ideology should change. I understand that it is a process sometimes because culture is a very difficult thing to bend. I understand that. But I believe that the power of God is going to work a work of transformation in all of our lives. I'm thankful for the power of the Spirit. I can't do it because I just am so strong or my sheer will. No, no, no. I've got to have, and you've got to have the Spirit at work in our lives to help us, amen, to live that life, to live a life of that in reflection to the royalty of which we've been grafted into. Something ought to be different. Something ought to change about us. I've said it many times, and if the Lord will give me breath, I'm going to say it many more times. 
that when we end a conversation with someone, especially if they're an unbeliever, when we walk away, they ought to have something in their heart that says there's something different about that person. I've met a lot of people that go to church. I've met a lot of people that profess this or that, but there's something different about them. They do look different. They do dress different. They do walk different and talk different, but there's something deeper than that. There's something in their heart that's pure and holy and right. Amen. And so I'm thankful that the Lord came to our rescue. I'm thankful that, that uh, his spirit began a new work in us and that uh, that is a, a new level of which we try to live our lives each and every day. David said, order my steps in your word. Order my steps in your word. Order my steps, O Lord. David talks about the word being hid that he might not sin against him. And so not only do we have a rich inheritance as children of God, but the, but the Bible also teaches us that he wants us to reach all people with his love. And he's gone to great lengths for his church to provide them the spiritual riches and the blessings. And he has gone to great lengths to draw all people to himself. And he has made a way for everybody to be able to escape from the bondage and the chains of sin. In the, in the, in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, the Bible says, And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Almighty. He called us. His children. I've met a few people through the years, especially elders in my life that uh, have influenced me and, and mentored me. And, and with a few of them, I have even had them refer to me as son. And they knew that I was not their biological son. I got it that I wasn't their biological son. But it was a term of endearment. It was a term of endearment to show how much I love you and how much I appreciate you. And so when the Lord calls us his children, he's not speaking down to us to press us down. Amen. He is speaking to our heart to let us realize how much he loves us. Amen. Son, children have an interesting way of viewing the world. If you want to get your your socks just shocked off of you altogether, ask a child a question. They'll answer you. In the heart of most children, you find a certain level of innocence. They, they enjoy the feeling of contentment just when their basic needs are met. A, a crying infant can instantly, can instantly find security with just basic needs, a bottle or a pacifier or something of that nature. Children also have a remarkable ability to forgive and to work toward reconciling and our reconciliation. Children have a remarkable ability to do that. You, you know, sometimes in the mind and the heart of a child, the worst enemy can become the best friend in just a few moments on the playground. And so that's why through the years in, in the church and I'm sure in other places of life, you know, we've often said if the parents will stay out of this, Mom and dad, they're still mad at each other. One's parking on one side of the church, one's parking on the other side of the church, and the kids are out there swinging together. They made up six days ago. Amen? <laughs> I don't know that that's ever happened. I'm just using an illustration. Lord, I hope that's never happened. <laughs> 
The point being is children have such a capacity for forgiveness, true forgiveness. I mean, moments ago, they could have just been arch enemies, and now they're holding hands. They're, they're, life has moved on. It's just a few moments, and so most children are unscathed by the burden of fear. Therefore, for them, life, life in and of itself, is just full of wonder, full of wonder. And so as a child, when we were hungry, when we approached our parent or a caregiver, we approached them with a certain level of expectation. We went to our parents or our grandparents or whoever it may have been at the moment, and when we told them we were hungry, something was set in motion immediately, immediately, to make sure that our needs were met. If we were sick and we took our sickness or the knowledge of that sickness to that same person, they went to work immediately to find a resolution, comfort somehow. And that's the exact fashion in which the Lord wants us to approach him. And that's why the devil meets us at an altar of prayer because he wants to confuse and distract that moment. But I need to remind him that you're going to have to back up. I'm talking to my father right now. You're going you're gonna to have to quieten up and sit in the corner. I'm talking to my father who cares. He knows and understands. And there's nothing trivial. There's nothing minor. If it matters to me, it matters to him. If it troubles me, it troubles him. Hallelujah. It doesn't have to be something that'll move the Richter scale in order to move heaven. If it troubles my heart, he's concerned. Why? Because we're privileged. I've been adopted into his family and he calls me son. Ma, mama, amen. And so he wants us to approach an altar of prayer with confidence. That he would hear us and that he would answer us when we call on him. I believe that Jesus can and will exceed our expectations. He does it time and time again. He exceeds those expectations and I'm thankful for that. We pray with an assurance that when we call on his name, that that is the highest name that mankind could ever dare mention not only in this world, but in the world to come. And that at that name, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to ultimately confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's why we are buried in his name. Amen. That's why we come out of that water in faith in his name. Amen. That demons are going to tremble. Amen. And they're going to be defeated at at that name. As a matter of fact, at the name of Jesus, even death is robbed of its sting ultimately. And the grave will loosen its grip because one day the trumpet's going to sound. And the most final thing in the mind and the heart of a human being is death. But when the trumpet sounds, the grave is going to lose its hold. Death is going to lose its sting because Jesus is going to call his bride home. Hallelujah. We're privileged. We are blessed. We are blessed. We are blessed. We are blessed. Oh, it's more than just a phrase. It's more than just a scripture. But I'm going to tell you there's some men and women in this house and there are some men and women that are going to watch this by way of video that you know what it's like to say he brought me out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. That's not just a metaphor. Amen. That's not just a little handle on a jug. But you know what it's like to be in the darkness of drug addiction, in the darkness of alcoholism, in the the darkness of sin and peril. But the marvelous light of his mercy came shining. Aren't you glad you responded? Aren't you glad you reached back? Aren't you glad you walked toward the light? Yes. 
Praise God. And so how, oh, how, how could we put a value on what God has done? I owe him my best, not what's left over. Amen. And we've all been guilty at some point of offering our family what's left over. I'm not just talking about in the refrigerator. But at the end of the day, we worked ourselves down to where we're almost crawling the back door. And so what our family got at the end of the day was what was left of us. We can't avoid that sometimes, but that can't be a lifestyle. That we just give our family what's left of us. You know, you, you've been out and about all day talking and doing this and that and sometimes maybe come home to our companions who haven't been out in the public and haven't been talking and we say well we're, we're talked out where they're not and so we can't just give them what's left over we've all been guilty but you can't create a lifestyle of that and so we can't give God what's left over just walk into the church house, chewed out, chewed up, and spit out, and you know, I'm I'm just I'm just spent. We can't just give God what's left over. He's done too much for me to just give him what's left of me. Uh, that's why I want to be thinking about Sunday way before Sunday. I want to think about Wednesday way before 7.30 on Wednesday night. And I want to do what David challenged us to do. And that's come in with thanksgiving and come in with praise. Not come in deflated for somebody to inflate. But I want to come in with a high praise. I want to come in. Why? Because I've been so blessed by the power and the presence of God. I'm thankful for our knowledge of the Lord. And, and the more we know of Him, the greater uh, the greater our relationship with the Lord, the deeper our understanding of the riches that we have in Him. And that knowledge should motivate us to share what God has done in our lives. I believe that spiritual insight allows us to identify with God's purpose in the earth. And the Holy Ghost provides us with these gifts and abilities that we need to fulfill the purpose of God on earth. And so the church, again, the church is a wonderful and powerful entity on the earth. But this is not a social club, although we socialize. This is not just a fellowship, although we will and do fellowship. But the church is the voice of God on this earth. As was said just a few services ago, that we will be the only Bible that some people ever read or ever know and acknowledge. So that's why we've got to be clear and concise in our lifestyle. And so for those who have had our spiritual eyes open, we now possess the ability to lead the spiritually blind to a greater light. Of course, salvation is God's work and God's work alone, and there's nothing that we can do to save people. But I believe that what God has done in our life can be reflected in such a manner that people see the positive side. My goodness, let people see the positive side of what God has done in your life. I don't want to be long-faced and sour and mad at the world. I've said I've met people that seem like they were on their way to heaven and ticked off about it. <laughs> They're mad about it. They don't want to talk about it. Amen. I, I don't. I don't want to be like that. I, I want to. I want to. I don't ever want to lose the light in my eye, the glimmer in my eye. I don't want ever want to lose 
uh, I'll say it often, the awe of being in his power and presence. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for touching me. And thank you, Lord, for being with me. And Amen. And if the world is ever going to know the Lord, Jesus Christ as Lord, then the church has got to preach the truth, the absolute truth. Because hearing the truth is what will bring conviction to sinners. Many will repent and believe the gospel. And after they repent and believe the gospel, they will be sealed with the promise of the Holy Ghost because that's God's method. Amen. The historical accounts of Acts show, uh, show it to, to, to be the means that God uses to convert sinners. In John, 14 and in John 14 and 6, Jesus declared this. He said, I am the truth. And so when we preach Jesus, we preach the truth. Amen. We preach the truth. Jesus Christ, the truth of him. Amen. The power of him. And so only when the truth is preached will people be brought to a saving place in their life. God has chosen by the foolishness of preaching, according to Paul and Corinthians, to save them that are lost. And so without the preaching, a sinner can't hear with faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we can discount it all we want. The world can try to discount it all we want. Maybe would be a better way to say that. But we should never discount the power of preaching because that is what's going to save people. I'm not talking about flowery presentations. I'm talking about preaching the truth. I'm talking about preaching Jesus in a pulpit. Amen. God's plan is this. That those who are to be saved must first hear the gospel from a God-sent preacher. I'm, I'm going in, to insert that phrase intentionally there. A God-sent preacher. Years ago I used to hear this phrase. I hadn't heard it in a long time, but... Some used to say um, some were called and some were sent. Some just picked up a Bible and went. <laughs> and so, um, pardon me this morning. But we need God sent preachers. God called preachers. Amen. We don't need wives to call their husbands to the ministry. And vice versa. Amen. We need God-called preachers. You know, I'm just about an inch and a half away from just meddling right there. But I'm just going to prove how strong I am today and just stay. Stay. I'm just kidding. they got to hear a God-sent preacher. Preaching is, is still God's preferred method of preaching. Bringing salvation to the lost. It's preaching, preaching. Ephesians 1 and 13 talks about the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. The word of truth and the gospel of salvation is going to have an effect on our lives. And the end result of this effect will be found in the fact that we're going to share it everywhere we go. My wife and I were in a meeting this past Friday night and they asked one of our, our friends, a pastor's wife, to come to the keyboard and and just, uh, I think originally she was just going to play an instrumental, and she did. But as she began to play, I, I promise you before the Lord, the Spirit of God just began to move. Oh, wow. The presence of the Lord just filled that house, that the room where we were standing. She ended that song, and she, 
and then she just began to talk not taking over anything it was very inspired of the Lord and then she just transitioned right into the old song that says go tell it on the mountain over the hills and everywhere go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is Lord I will tell you that she wasn't three words into that song before I believe every person in that room joined in and we just began to sing that song in unison as we began to talk about go, tell it on the mountain. Amen. I had already been preparing for this morning's message and so when she began to sing that, I knew right then I was going to mention it today. Amen. There was something powerful, powerful, powerful that happened when that that group of people standing in that room was reminded this is what we ought to be doing Amen. This is what we ought to be doing. We ought to go tell it on the mountain. We ought to shout it on the mountaintop. Jesus Christ is Lord. Aren't you glad you know him? Aren't you thankful you've been changed? Praise God. Amen. Ah, Lord, my Lord, let's stand today. And I want to thank you for being here. And thank you for your attentiveness to the word of the Lord plugged in. In our second service, we'll begin at 11 o'clock. In our second service is... Brother Jerry Herndon is going to be sharing our Christmas for Christ campaign for 2020. He's going to share some exciting things of, uh, with you that have happened in the Florida district, not just around our, not counting all around our fellowship, but just what's happened in the Florida district by way of church plants and things of that nature. And so I want you, if you will, this is my opportunity today, to just invite you to allow our campaign of Christmas for Christ this year to be more than just a fundraiser, more than just an offering. But let's take this to heart. Would you do that? Amen. Because what we're giving to, to Christmas for Christ is, is not just sitting up in a bank account somewhere. Churches are being planted. Missionary families are being supported. I'm telling you right now, there are 19, there are 19 North American mission pastors today as we speak that are in pulpits. Amen. They are filling their pulpit right now, and they're propagating, preaching the gospel. They're doing what I've been preaching about today, and that's what's going to save the world. Amen. May the Lord bless you today. Let's pray. God, I love you, and I thank you for your mercy and your goodness and your kindness to us. And I'm asking you, God, to let this word be forever settled in our heart and our mind. Strengthen us by your hand. Let your divine anointing be with us today and help us to live what we have heard now in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. May the Lord bless you. And uh, 11 o'clock, we're going to have a good time. In the this message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.